right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. I'm joined today by Janet Reberg. I'm very excited to have her on. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. I've, I've been following her on LinkedIn for quite some time. Um, she's always she's 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 posted a lot about her life, some some accomplishments she's had, and so I've been a fan from afar. So really excited to have her on. Uh, welcome today, Janet. Thank you, Matthew. And you did pronounce my last name correctly. Yes, that's very important with someone with the last name Winkelstein. I have to be able to pronounce other last names correctly. Otherwise, how could I ever say anything about who pronounces my name, right? That's so true. Um, so Janet has worked for some uh, some really interesting uh, people in our space. She's worked for AEP, Ohio Electric Cooperative. And most recently, she's Chief Strategy Officer and VP of Engineering for Tri-County Electric Cooperative. Um, so, uh, Jan and I have talked a little bit offline, and I know a lot of people like to hear about different professional stories, so I'm not going to frame this very much here. I'm going to turn it over to Janet and let her tell her phenomenal story, and uh, and then we'll all ride the journey with you. So, Janet, go ahead. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because I didn't start out wanting to be an engineer at all. I actually thought I was going to be a national news anchor. You know, being an Asian woman, there wasn't a lot of Asian role models on TV at the time. Um, and so Connie Chung was, you know, one of the very rare few Asian women that was on TV. And I just wanted to be her. I wanted to look like her. I wanted to talk like her. I wanted to sound like her. So I thought, you know, when I grew up, I'm going to be a national news anchor. Well, of course, my Asian parents are very conservative and they're like, you're not going to make any money doing that. So you're either going to be a doctor or an engineer. And of course, doctor was out of the picture because I'm very scared of blood. So that's out of my uh, realm to do that. So I thought, you know, engineering sounded interesting because I do love math. But what really intrigued me is that my dad, um, he was born and raised in Vietnam and he always wanted to be an electrical engineer. But because of the war, um, he was drafted very young to go into war, so he never had the opportunity. So when he came to the U.S., he thought, wow, land of opportunity. Now is the time that I can become who I want to be, which, which is an electrical engineer. But he had a family. And so with, with my mom, with me, and even my mom's side of the family that he had to help take care and support, financially, that was just too hard for him. So after about a year or two of, of trying to pursue his dream, he gave that up so that he can help provide for the family. And so for me, as I'm going through the engineering route, I felt that what would be a great way to give back to him than to pursue his career dream for him? So that's why I chose the electrical engineering path. Wow. That's a uh, he I assume your dad's very proud then, right? He is. And I think the day that I got my electrical engineering degree, he's probably more proud of that degree than I was. So it was <laughs> it was fulfilling something for him. So um so I, uh, one of the things I failed to mention in the beginning is is your passion for women in STEM and the, what you do, you do a lot and you're active in that category. So I'm curious, you chose, so you chose engineering somewhat as an homage to your father. When did you start to love engineering? What did you love about it? And how did you get started? You got this degree and walk us through a little bit of your career. Yeah, so I started my career in 2004. And when I went to, I went to University of Tulsa to get my electrical engineering degree. Um, when I started that back in 2000, I was one of three females in a class of over 60 guys. So it was very rare to have females, especially in electrical engineering. And so a lot of people, and, and there's always that stereotype of one, females shouldn't be engineers. And two is, if you're gonna be a female engineer, you gotta look and act a certain way. 
And clearly I don't fit the mold because um, I love the girly things. I love my hair and makeup. Um, and so a lot of people question me during schooling that, oh, you're not going to make it because you're just another one of those pretty faces. And I've been told that. So when I got into the industry in 2004, once again, being a female in the electric industry uh, is very rare. So I, uh, in 2005, I got connected with a women's international organization. It's women in utilities organization, and it's one of the oldest women groups probably in the world. Um, they were started way back um, in the early 19 uh, in the early uh, 1900s there, and so. I, I was connected and I wanted to be part of more than just, you know, coming to work and doing doing my work. And I, I went through a lot of challenges actually in my career being a female engineer. And through that women's organization, they actually helped me get through some of those challenges by encouraging me that, hey, there's, there's more than what you're seeing. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so through that organization, they helped me overcome some of the stereotypes, some of the questioning from male colleagues, um, from customers who question me as a female engineer that they think that I am not qualified to do their design work. Um, but through it, I built a lot of um, relationships and people trusted me. I became kind of an, an engineer where a lot of people knew who I was, and that's how it helped transition my career path from every, I felt like every position that I took going forward was people recruiting me based on my reputation. And so knowing what I know now, I'm a big proponent on encouraging more women to enter the workforce. Not only that is you're always going to overcome, you're always going to have challenges, but there's people around that can help you overcome your challenges. And I want to be one of those people to help younger women as they enter the career force. And so I became the international president of that women's organization in women in utility organization in 2014 and I made um, STEM education for girls our national philanthropic platform. So every chapter across our 20 plus states every year they have to do some kind of event involving uh, STEM education for girls. That's awesome. I, I have a couple questions but I just want to um, if you could tell if there's any there's any young female engineers out there they're not familiar with the organization how do they become more familiar with it how do they join the organization yeah so the organization has a really nice website it's www.winup.org and it stands for women international network of utility professionals um, we are celebrating our 100 year anniversary in 2023 and the chapter originated in New York. And so the conference, the 100 year conference is going to be in New York as well, just to commemorate, you know, the, the beginning of WINA. And so for any um, students actually get a discounted rate to be part of the organization. And um, that organization, because more and more companies are buying into diverse, diversity and inclusion, a lot of employers actually will pay for their uh, women leaders or, or women in general in the workforce to be part of the organization. When I started at AEP, AEP Ohio, we had um, in, in Ohio, we had about 40 women in the membership. When I became the Ohio chapter president in uh, 2010, I wanted to double and triple the membership. So by the end of my tenure as president, we were over 200 women. And part of that is recruiting outside of, of AEP and getting more diverse company to truly build that network for the Ohio chapter. And so more and more states are starting to um, incorporate went up into it. And so if there's young girls in different states, more than likely there is a chapter in their state that they can be a part of it. And, and it sounds like there's a nice component of it for owners and employers too, where 
there's that reciprocal benefit of you get you get some of your workforce involved, but then you're also exposed to different um, different points of view, different perspectives in that in that workforce. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. What's great about the organization is they, in the recent probably five six years, have really formalized um, mentorship program, and so you can utilize this organization as a company to help mentor your women who are aspiring to go into leadership position or to help cross train uh, across other companies or departments too, to help build your uh, your employees, not only in the leadership path, but also more of an exposure for networking and to build their knowledge in lots of different areas and companies. Yeah. So if you are a young female engineer or engineering student, please check out the website. We'll have that in the show notes. And then also if you're an employer or an owner, consider it as well. And we'll also connect with Janet through the different show notes. So if you want to reach out to her, I don't think she would mind if uh, a young engineer or two reached out to her for some advice. I hope not. <laughs> no, I, my big passion is for uh, STEM education for girls. So I'm definitely passionate about that. Perfect. We don't have to edit that out then. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Great start, great start to your career. Uh, because we talked a little bit, I'm 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 a little familiar with it. I'm curious. So you're you you developed some success in engineering, and then you chose to get out of engineering for a little while. What drove that decision, and uh, what 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 was your big takeaway from that? Yeah. So I've always encouraged young um, students, whether they male or female, whatever career path they go into, is you got to start somewhere. And it's always hard for them to decide immediately like what major they want to be or even what company they want to work for or what kind of career they want for, you know, their their entire life. And that's that's OK to not know. And so for me is, you know, I got my degree electrical engineering and I started my career at AEP because that was a great opportunity for me to be in. And through various uh, engineering management role at AEP, I was there for about 10 years. Um, my heart, I felt like really wanted to venture to the nonprofit sector. Um, AEP is a for-profit and they do lots of great things for the for-profit profit sector, but I always am big with, you know, being part of the community, being part of nonprofit. So I was wondering after 10 years of being with them, what would it like to shift into something completely different to a not-for-profit? So I had the opportunity through LinkedIn. Actually, LinkedIn, LinkedIn does a really good job about, you know, that's why I always tell people that update your LinkedIn profile as much um, as you can with lots of good details about what you currently do, because in LinkedIn has a really cool search engine that's always trying to match employees to employers, employers to employees. And so they were sending me, you know, information about different companies that they think I would be a good fit. And one of the companies, one of my colleagues have gone to from AEP to there who I highly respect. So I called him and I said, hey, what isn't this the company you are working for? Can you tell me a little bit about it? But it was for a marketing director position. And he said, oh my gosh, you have to apply. You'd be excellent at this. And I said, well, that's not my background at all. And he said, well, you've recently got your MBA. So you've ventured into you know, the business realm. He's like, what we need is an engineer that can communicate. Marketing in the utility world is not 
the marketing that you normally think about with other companies. It's it's taking that technical information and communicating it to the customers. And he said, you'd be really good at this. You got to come over to our company. And so within that call to um, me actually coming over to the company was within like two to three months. I mean, it happened really, really fast. So I went from you know your typical design planning engineer in an electric utility to now a cooperative, which is also a utility, but is a not-for-profit utility. Um, so I'm still going, staying in the utility sector, but just moving for for profit to not uh, for not for profit, and I'm going from engineering to marketing. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, after a couple of years, they promoted me into cooperative development director. So I not only oversaw marketing, but also economic development, workforce development training, uh, conferences. So I really brought out a lot of my creative skills. And I learned so much in the world of marketing. Um, so there was a lot of new things. And then um, in 2020, I got recruited by Tri-County in Texas to come work for them as the VP of engineering in, in, in Texas. And I was a little surprised because I, you know, I haven't been in engineering realm for the last five years. And they said, once again, we don't need you to sit and design. We have a whole team of engineers that does that. We need you to lead that group because you can communicate so you can empower that group to, to be better, but also to help us because Texas is a growing state. You're getting a lot of people moving from other states in. We need somebody who can communicate to the customers to make sure that you know they understand what our product and services and offerings are so we can bring more people into our service territory. So it's just interesting to see where I started to where I'm at now, how it's kind of a full circle in some ways, but utilizing different things that you learn throughout your, your career path has really led me to where I am, I'm at. So, you know, the big takeaway here is you can start in one place, um, but it's okay to transition throughout your career to get to other places. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I, uh, I'm fortunate to mentor um, to mentor quite a few young professionals in the in technical space. And one of the things I hear a lot is, well, if I stop doing technical work, I'm going to lose the ability to do technical work again, which obviously you've disproved in your career. Um, did you have any thoughts about that when you were going from something very technical, like self-performing design engineering to doing marketing? What were some concerns you had? How did you alleviate those? And did you rely on other people for advice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a combination of every everything that you just said there. Um, going from one realm to another realm is a whole new learning experience, right? So to me, um, whether it's going from engineering to marketing and then back to engineering is rely on subject matter expert because you're not going to always be that and rely on them to help coach and train you to get the same knowledge where you may not necessarily need that full detailed knowledge where you're gonna sit and do the actual design or, or marketing, but know enough so that you can understand and ask the right questions and then maybe outsource you know, the pieces that you're, you're missing, uh, the gaps to fill in the gaps. Um, so to me, it's, it's a continuous learning and utilizing the right people to help you along the way. So don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to ask questions because that's the best way to learn and to transition. Yeah, and I also commend you just for making the decision, right? Just even to get to, to make the decision to do that, I'm sure was not an easy decision, especially the first time. I bet I assume it was a lot easier to go from your marketing role back to engineering because you'd already that's more familiar. But um what were you were you concerned when you made the when you made the jump? I mean, uh, I'd have been nervous. 
Yeah, um, AEP is where I grew up with, right? I, I came out of college, went straight to work for AEP. That's my comfort zone. That's who I know. That's where I'm comfortable. Um, and going and leaving, just leaving a company that you grew up with and going to something completely new. People always, you know, people would say the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But to me, it was a calculated effort. So it was something that I calculated, okay, I'm going to try something new um, and I'm going to build more skills by trying something new. And the fact that it's still a utility and it's a not-for-profit, um, it was Ohio's electric cooperative. Um, so my calculated risk there is I am taking a risk going for something new, but it's still a little bit in my, in my, in my comfort zone. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then going from there back to engineering, I mean, that makes me nervous when you're in more of the soft skilled world for five years and you go back and you become the VP of engineering. Um, that made me nervous to get back into it because I'm like, how much did I remember? How much did I forget? That's why a lot of people, a lot of times when they get out of electrical engineering, they would go into their master's, electrical engineering master's immediately. So they don't forget that all that information. If you wait for years down the road, going back into it's much harder. So that was my fear was how much do, would I retain being back in and leading this group, but it's interesting that as my career path, how much I'm learning throughout the wet, uh, throughout you know my career path, that I have utilized that to help in the role that I'm in now. Like I still know enough to know when things doesn't look right and to be able to ask those critical questions, but I don't need to go into the weed of of the details of design. I let the subject matter expert do that. And so it was, it was, you know, a definitely a nerve wracking decision, but at the same time, you don't know until you try. Great, great advice. I, uh, I, like I said, I talked to a lot of people and I, I, I just see a lot of young professionals get really, get really wrapped around the axle with that when, you know, it, a lot of these moves, I tell everyone, you know, this is the next big decision you have, not the big decision you have, because you're going to have five more big decisions and the next big decisions are going to seem bigger than the previous ones and it continues to build. And so you're never going to be ready or comfortable. You just eventually have to take the leap. And I think you're a shining example of that. Um, what did, uh, what were you able to, so you, you go from engineering to marketing, what were you able to leverage from engineering? What, from that mindset, what did you bring to marketing? And then how did you, how did you, bring all that together to be in charge of cooperative development and training as well or workforce development i apologize yeah so in my role going from aep to ohio's electric cooperative um we were what that entity is what they call the statewide services where we provide marketing training safety legislative to the 24 distribution cooperatives in the state of ohio so we're more kind of like a support organization and most of the CEO of the distribution cooperatives are engineers. So I felt like I had a lot of buy-in early into my career there was they feel that when they're asking for something or um, questioning something, I have enough engineering technical background and knowledge to be able to explain why I'm marketing this the way I am because I understand the technical side of things. And that was where a lot of, you know, former people who were trying to apply for the position failed was they didn't have that type of background going into it. Um, the other piece that I feel with my engineering background that I brought into marketing is true project management skills. Um, I take it for granted that engineers naturally have a lot more project management, and I am a licensed project professional, project management professional too, um, that 
in marketing, you have a lot of campaigns, you have a lot of projects, but to keep everything organized, it's a very logical thought process. So you take I think the more successful marketers are the ones that can work your left brain and your right brain together to try to be creative, but yet still organized because a lot of marketers drive the technical people crazy because they have great ideas, but they are not logical in how to get there. And it drives the engineers or the accountants crazy and vice versa. The accounts engineers usually drive the marketer crazy because they felt like they feel like Oh, you're always in your safe zone. You're not being creative. You're not being innovative. Let's let's think bigger. Let's try something new. Even if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least we've tried it. So I I think based on my background being an engineer um, with creativity that I bring to, it's a nice mesh, a nice compromise between the two areas that has brought a little bit more success. And so with that, um, our CEO was very comfortable transitioning me over into training, overseeing like training, economic development, and and conferences. So it's just helped my career really explode from there. Yeah, it sounds like you've benefited from some good leadership too, because I've I've seen leaders that are like you're describing where, hey, Janet's really talented at all this stuff. She can learn anything. She has this, she had this knowledge. We're confident she's going to be able to take this on, even though she hasn't done workforce development. We're confident she'll be able to do that. I've also worked with other leaders that are Oh, you haven't specifically done workforce development? I don't know if you can do that. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about some of the leaders' faith that they've had on had in you and, and maybe if they've had an impact on you at all? Absolutely. Um, that's why mentorship is a very big tool, especially for young people going through uh, even college, having the right professors, and then in your career path. Um, and mentors can come in all sorts of form. It could be a peer uh, that's been in the industry for a while that can give you extra knowledge, or it could be a leader that really inspires or trusts you. And part of that um, to build that mentorship relationship is all about trust. So if you can prove to them that you're capable of learning, you're capable of accomplishing things and following up and achieving things, they naturally will tend to give you more projects um, to be able to you know, prove yourself even more. And really good re leaders recognize and contribute those accomplishments to their employees as well. And there's lots, I've been through good leaders, I've been through bad leaders, and I hope from my experience is that I try to avoid the bad leader traits and continue to um, gravitate and um, tr you know, implement things from the better leaders and on why they're better leaders is that's how they made me feel. That's how they motivate me. And so, you know, that trust between the two, whether it's it's the employee and the leader, is built based on kind of the relationship and the work output that you have given to them. It makes them look good, but at the same time, they recognize and, and try to retain you by constantly um, helping you um, get promote, promote you and helping you grow with the company. So million dollar question for young professionals. What's more important, working for an established company or working for a good leader? Obviously you want both, but you can't have both in this situation. <laughs> working for a good leader. People say people quit their work, not because of their job, they quit because of their manager. Um, you can be in a company that's been around for hundreds of years, but if they have poor leadership, you can be there for one day and want to quit. And you can be for a startup company. My husband's in a startup company and you and you have a good leader and people will follow you through rough times where, you know, my husband's a good example. Um, he he's a brilliant electrical engineer with 14 patents. And so he came up with a concept for a company and he's such a good leader that his um, his employees has followed him from because the company has been bought out from different investors over the years. 
and his employees continues to follow him through the, the, the highs and the lows. And so leadership is very important on how you retain people. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting story. I wish we had more time because I'd like to pull on that a little bit more. Um, but I want to I want to wrap this up a little bit and, and move on to LinkedIn. But before we do that, I'm curious what um, from and I'm, I'm thinking specifically for engineers that kind of bounce around. So you describe very succinctly what you learned going from or what you're able to apply going from engineering to marketing. Now you have this position of marketing, workforce development. What did you learn there that you've been able to apply in your new role of VP of engineering? Yeah, uh, communication is the key, especially going back into the engineering realm. I have brilliant engineers that are working for Tri-County, but engineers aren't necessarily known for their communication skills. And so I think I was a either a breath of fresh air to them or a complete shock to their system because I come in with a very different perspective on, you know, communication is the key. And we, because we are a, a cooperative, we don't have customers, we have members. So I'm always about, you know, what can we do to meet our members' needs and to uh, continue to have our highest service excellence for our members. And so that's not a concept that a lot of engineers or technical people are used to because they're more on what is the best product can they produce, not the how is it going to affect the end user. And so that is a lot from my experience going from training and marketing to bringing that perspective that you may have a good product, but if you can't communicate it to the end user or meet the expectation of the end user, your product will never sell. So it's it's great to be able to transition from role to role because it brings different experience, different perspective as I go into a new role. Yeah, really, really good stuff. So would you encourage um, if, if you're if, if you're talking to a group of engineers, would you encourage them to take a role that that requires more soft skill development to round them out? Or do you think if you're really passionate about engineering, just stay in engineering? I think if you're really passionate about engineering, you should stay in engineering because if they try to fake their way into something that they're not, it may actually set them up for failure. However, mm -hmm. with that in mind, there's always room for a continuing education. So just because they love and are passionate about a technical field, they can still take soft skills um, courses, for instance, presentation, uh, communication, uh, uh, crucial conversations, lots of those different things to help improve them as an employee and as a person, but don't necessarily like me, who went from engineering straight into some kind of marketing or business development role because it's set it's setting them up for failure because that's not where the heart is. But if they have if they continue edu with continue education to get that perspective, then that will help them in their technical role as well. But if they're the kind of engineer that likes the people's perspective, then absolutely, you know, don't stay in the technical role because you think that's where you should be. Venture into something else if you have the ability. Yeah, so so if I could summarize your advice a little bit, it's you do need the experience in some form or fashion. Maybe if you are just passionate engineering, you shouldn't necessarily take a position that you don't enjoy, but you need some way to get that perspective of what's the voice of the customer, what's the business like, so you can understand better how your engineering affects the rest of the company. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, I'm excited to see what happens for the rest of your career. It's been fun watching it the, uh, through LinkedIn the last uh, handful of years. And uh, I know everyone that's listening is probably excited to see what you're going to do next because who knows, you're going to leverage all of this, all this uh, cool experience you have. Um, so we like to talk uh, a lot on the show about uh, 
the way that people perform research, the way that they buy has changed a little bit. And um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about how you leveraged LinkedIn. You mentioned it earlier in your story that you got the position because of LinkedIn. Do you mind telling us when did you get started with LinkedIn? What did you start doing on LinkedIn? And when did you become serious about using the platform? Gosh, when did I start with LinkedIn? Don't have to date yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even remember. Like, so um, pretty early on when LinkedIn was introduced, probably a few years after that, um, I, I'm big on learning new technology, new social media platform, new software. I'm always venturing and trying new things. And so I'm like, oh, what is this uh, social media platform that is all for business people? I need to be on there. So when I first started, you know, it's your normal profile picture and then a couple of items. And as I'm more comfortable with it, I'm like, why not use it almost like a resume builder? So every time that I changed position, I made sure that I, I basically what you see on my LinkedIn is almost what my resume looks like, um, because what I learned is that the search engine on LinkedIn, as I mentioned earlier, tries to match employer to employees, employees to employers. Um, so it's a great marketing opportunity to not only not, not it's not about you trying to find your next job constantly, but letting, you know, other uh, organization, other peers, colleagues know who you are in the workforce. And I'll give you a really good story um, outside of just work. So I got my project management license. Oh, gosh, uh, I want to say like in. 2010-ish timeframe, I think, 2011, somewhere there. And, you know, I, I put that on my um, LinkedIn and I put some projects that I've been working on. And probably about three or four years after that, um, somebody from Project Management Institute reached out to me and said, hey, based on your background, I noticed that you are a licensed professional. Um, we want you to be part of an international team. And we've only picked eight to 10 people. And it's um, the team is made up of international people. So basically, I was working with somebody from um, Italy, somebody from France, somebody from Asia. So it was just a very diverse group that that they reached out to me because of my background on this special project um, that they wanted us based on our background to help them test out the software programming. And their um, their thing was, you know, we'll meet, we'll, we'll dedicate our time, we'll count it towards our license because we have to have so many credits. And then after about a year, um, or I think it was maybe six months, they were going to pay for our trip all to go over to Italy to meet in person. So it was a really, I, unfortunately, the time that they chose to fly, um, I had a big family trip, so I couldn't, I couldn't get out of that to do that. <laughs> But that was such a cool opportunity that LinkedIn brought to me that I wasn't even seeking. So not only is it great for, you know, where you're going to be maybe in your future with your employers, but there's a lot of neat networking opportunity that presents itself if you really keep your LinkedIn professional and clean. And there's some bad, I actually do a little bit of training on what to put, what not to put on social media. And LinkedIn is one of the platforms. <laughs> what a... Uh... I mean, now we kind of got to know, like, what do you, what, what should we not put on LinkedIn? Um, LinkedIn, first off, your profile picture, please have a professional picture on there. I've seen some very unprofessional and it should have good lighting. It should be a good, you know, invest money to go get a nice headshot. It should be a good headshot. It should be somewhere you're looking somewhat at the camera and not a side profile because that's kind of the glimpse of your future employer or colleagues or networking to see a little bit of who is this person, right? So your profile is a little bit there that gives them that glimpse. And then your, your overall profile on what you put on there also builds who you are to them. Yeah. Good, good, good advice. I, uh, 
I tell people with some of the pictures I see too is, uh, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, is don't don't get too much photoshopping done because yeah. you want to look like the person that's in the picture. When someone sees you, you want to look familiar enough where like I feel like I know you. And if you're too, if you do too much of the Instagram style pictures, people might not recognize you, and then you yes. lose some of the effect. Yes, very much so. And and the other thing that is one of my biggest pet peeves is do not air your dirty laundry on social media no matter which platform it is, and especially don't do it on LinkedIn. Because uh, you'd be surprised on, on those posts and messages that people um, put on there. Some people get really comfortable and they put more personal, which is a little bit of personal is fine because people can get a feel of who you are, but don't air your dirty laundry on LinkedIn. Like that's not the professional place to be. <laughs> yes, uh, I see I see more and more of that. Uh, I. I'm, I, I feel like I feel like it's shifting a little bit. It was really bad during the election season. I was like, oh my goodness, I have to disconnect with hundreds of people because I can't deal with this. I feel like it slowed down a little bit or I've weeded those people out. But uh, I, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, you know, the airing of the dirty laundry and also some of the combative nature. This isn't Twitter. Like you don't need to argue with everyone in the comments or try and pick some fight to get your name out there. I, I'm sure in some industries that's okay, but in ours, I don't think that anyone respects that. Right, right. It could be a career suicide. Yeah, especially if people look at that stuff. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I, one thing I, I, that you said that I really liked is, you know, you're not always, even though you're not always trying to find a job, this is kind of acting like it's always trying to find a job for you. And we talk a lot, of, not just on the personal side, but on the brand side, how important getting that information out in a passive way is where your dream employer may not be hiring right now, but you don't know when they're really going to be hiring for your position either. And so if you're not putting it out there, how can someone find you? And from a business standpoint, um, it, people aren't always looking for engineering services or construction projects, but when they are, is your information out there and are they going to be able to find that? Um, I'm curious if you, if you agree with that and also how you consume content on the platform. Yeah, so um, right now we are at Tri-County, we have a lot of position open um, and open for different departments and a lot of those departments are under me. And so I know that when we hire a, um, a headhunter or a, you know, a recruiting firm, mm -hmm. one of their big tools that they use is LinkedIn. Yeah. They will go based on kind of the job description, kind of what we're looking for, the experience. They will go, their team will search through LinkedIn to look for those buzzwords or those um, experience that will fit what we're looking for. So that, I mean, that's why keeping your LinkedIn profile very updated and especially where you want to go in your career path, if you decide that you want to maybe have some opportunities or some change in, in your career is to be sure that you highlight areas that you enjoy doing so that that search engine is, or the, the you know, people who are looking is going to utilize that. Um, I know that we've gotten some really good candidates through our, our consulting firm to, that's looking for that based on what people put on their LinkedIn. And of course, you know, once they call and interview them, they have to match what they put yeah. on there. So don't <laughs> lie about it on your LinkedIn because we will know. Yeah. That's a good point. Neither one neither one wants buyer's remorse either. Uh, you know, it's another thing we talk a lot about in content. People say, well, what if customers don't want to work with us? Well, that's not the worst thing in the world. They're eventually not going to want to work with you if this if that's really a barrier. They're eventually not going to want to work with you. So would you rather figure that out before you spend a lot of money or after you've sunk a lot of that customer acquisition cost and then you realize, oh, that stuff we weren't honest about turns out that's a deal breaker and now they don't want to work right. with us. Right. Um. Do you uh do you consume 
Do you consume professional content on LinkedIn too, or are you mainly on there looking for prospective employees and stuff? Um, I do both. Um, I, I love to go on LinkedIn to see what other cooperatives are doing, mm -hmm. especially if I have um, a special uh, different initiative that I, whether I'm looking at electric vehicles or I'm looking at um, how people are doing their demand response, um, any of those type of products. Um, I like to just kind of scroll through the post to see what other cooperatives. Um, that's why I like to join a lot of different cooperatives across the U.S. And, and even uh, outside of just cooperative like utilities in general. What are they doing in those areas or what are some things I'm not thinking about? So I consume content on what people are shared based on, you know, some of the because people, you know, companies like to highlight new things they're doing, um, the positive aspects. And so seeing what they're doing and things that we are not doing, how do we incorporate that or make our programs better? Um, I do utilize LinkedIn quite a bit for that, too. And do you find it? Um outside of the people that air their dirty laundry, do you feel that's a positive experience or? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There's a um, there's a CEO um, on one of the cooperatives where he started to do his own quick blogs and no matter what he does throughout the day, it's kind of fun and cute. And at first when he started, I'm like, I don't know what the traction's going to be there, but it's, he's just, cause he did it, you know, very, He's very timely. He does it every day. He does very short and brief. Um, he's gained a lot of traction and views on his post. And what a great way for him to market his cooperative and what he's doing. So for me, who knew him and started following him early on, it's great to see how his blog has has really increased and the comments that people put on, you know, what they've learned. Um, so definitely it's a, it's a positive aspect if you use it correctly. Yes, if you would, after this is over, send, message me the CEO because I'd love to follow and uh, also consume the content. Um, I don't I don't know if you would disagree with this, but I don't see a lot of people that are are like the CEO you're describing. I don't feel like that the platform is utilized by a lot of people broadly, and there are a lot of those thought leaders out there. Do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is? Why are people, especially technical professionals, reluctant to get that information out there? I do agree that it's not utilized to its maximum because I think, um, especially when you say technical, because in the technical realm, they don't think marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's kind of back to that, you know, you have two groups, you have the marketers, and then you have the technical people. And a lot of times you don't get that blend. So technical people are very focused on just working on their product, but not thinking of how to market it. And the marketers only know what they know. So they try to market as much as they can, but they can't go into specific um, details or know exactly what's being worked on that needs to be marketed. So it needs to be that fine blend. The other thing too is I think it's a generational thing. Um, you talk about, you know, CEOs and companies. Um, right now, a lot of CEOs are still in your probably 55 plus. And so they've just not been exposed to this type of you know, growth in social media and this technology, a lot of them are, are kind of venturing into it, but it's just still that that um, generational gap that's there. That's why they're not utilizing it as much. So kudos to that CEO who I'm following. He's he's in the older generation and he's really venturing into it. So that's great to see them do that. But you'll see more and more um, of the younger generation who are now into leadership and, and CEO position to utilize this platform a little bit more because they kind of, uh, but they've been more experienced to it a little bit more, whether it's going through school or, or earlier in their career than it is with a lot of people in the generation that this is so new to them. Yeah, that, that that's a great observation. I I, I agree. Uh, I, one of the conversations we have a lot um, through engaging perspectives is, you know, you you may or may not be experiencing these problems right this second, but this 
this situation isn't going backwards. Younger people aren't becoming less engaged online. They aren't expecting less of this. As time goes on and more of these younger professionals become in leadership positions, it's it's going to continue to evolve. And then we had someone on the podcast um, a handful of weeks ago who's at Purdue, and he's the president of um, Purdue ASME's chapter. And I've, through connecting with him and connecting with people that are connected with him, it's like, and these kids are rock stars out there. They're not only very talented engineers, they're telling the world about it and all this cool stuff they're doing. And I'd see that, just that little microcosm. And I, I just keep thinking to myself, this is only the beginning. It feels like it feels like this thought, this technology, this platform is is in its later stages. And it probably is if you're in B2B software as a service or something. But in our space, I feel like we're just at the beginning of this. And that that makes me super excited. Yeah, um, you just made me think of something because you brought up a really good point about that. Um, as you know, you and the audience might recall the snowmageddon that hit Texas in February of this year of mm -hmm. 2021. Um, we were the only utility in Texas that our CEO went Facebook Live almost every day. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think about, you know, when you're in a disaster or in a catastrophic uh, time is that's the best time to keep people, keep customers, members updated on what is going on. The more informed people are, the more they can understand the situation. And so there are medias that even contacted us and said, well, why are the, aren't other utilities doing this? And, you know, our response is we can't control all yeah. the other utilities. That's not our business, but we can control the information that our cooperative is sharing. And so having, you know, the Facebook live, a lot of people think social media is really young generation. That's not true. Facebook, um, if you look at the marketing uh, data behind that is actually in your um, people between, you know, in your thirties and forties uses Facebook way more than your people than the people in the twenties. And so you've got to utilize your social media to target, you know, the, the audience that are going to be needing those type of content. Yeah, that's a really good example. Um, and if you can't share, it's okay. Uh, if you can, what prompted what prompted that? Why did why did y'all decide to go Facebook Live? I assume it was well received. Um, I'm curious what what spurned that or spawned it. Yeah. So during the time, of course, you know, it was a big. Um, big catastrophe for for Texas in many years to ever have this type of, of winter storm. And, you know, consistently we saw a whole bunch of people asking what's going on, what's going on, whether it's social media through Facebook, media's calling us or calls. And so we decided what's going to hit, you know, how what's a way that we can um, share our content, our information that will reach a lot of people quickly. And so we decided that Facebook Live was going to be that platform because we can we can share it and we can save it onto our web page, our website, so that people who don't use Facebook Live um, can see it on our web page. We can save it there. And people who are on, on Facebook Live, we let them know, okay, this date, this time, our CEO is going to go live. And then we even save it onto our Facebook. They can go back and watch it later. And then we um, send out emails, text messages to our members, hey, our CEO just made a Facebook Live if you want to go check that out and people would share, reshare. So we felt that at the time, that was the best way to get out um, to as many people as we can. And if there's a uh, repository that people can come back to to look at it for more information. Awesome. So I, I assume it was well received in the community? It was very well received. And even after the after the aftermath, <laughs> um, I've been out to a lot of the community um, kind of talking about what happened. 
we were thanked by not only by mayors, government officials, by our members, customers, that Tri-County was the only one that did a Facebook Live and they had so much inf that we shared enough content that kept members engaged and that people who didn't, didn't even have us as a utility would say, gosh, I watch your Facebook Live just to get information in general what was happening. And they're like, I wish my utilities would have done this so that I would have more specific information to where I was living. Yeah, that's that's really good. And one, um, we're after this, we'll move on to your best routine and habit. So give you a little time to think about it. But um, one thing that I've observed, I haven't heard you specifically call it out, but you really understand your customers at every level. Uh, from when you were an engineer, you understood. It sounded like you understood what were the deliverables were, and then you were moving into this marketing role. You really understood who the customers were, the people that the consumers, and you needed to explain this technical information. And I just heard it again here at the end, where where you were a part of this thought that, hey, this is the best way to reach our customers. And then not only did you do that, you followed up and communicated with them. And so I would encourage anyone, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a marketer, whether you're anyone, your customers are the most important thing. And the closer you can get to your customers, the more you can understand your customers, the more unique ways you can learn to get in front of them, the better off you're going to be. Um, that's one of the things in marketing I feel like people miss is if you do it well, it's a cycle where you're making assumptions then you're putting information out there. Then you get the actual results and you see, oh, this is what the customers actually think. And then it's an iterative process that continues to go round and round. Um, but if you're four people sitting in a boardroom making these decisions, you're missing out on that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not a new concept. I think most successful companies right now, no matter what industry they're in, um, have always been successful because they've listened to what their customer wants. Yes. Yes, great, great, great way to leave this off. Um, so you, I, I, uh, we didn't even get to get into some of the other cool things you've done. I know you've won a pageant previously from some things I've seen, and um, I didn't even know you had your project management certificate. So you've you've accomplished a lot. Um, what is uh, what is the best routine or habit that you've developed over this time that makes you successful and allows you to just continue to produce and and uh, switch positions? So I would say for me, what has helped me in my career path is probably a few things. Um, one is communication is is one of the key aspects is um, if you're not a good communicator, take classes. Communication helps you in multiple facets, whether it's to communicate to your employees, to your management or to your customers. Um, communication is something that is very vital because it gets buy in no matter what level. Um, the other piece for me is my project management skill kind of brings it in is, is active listening and follow through. So a lot of times I would meet with vendors and I feel like they're not listening to me. So I've taken a lot of courses on active listening and truly understand and listen when people talk to me. And one of the tricks I always do is after I actively listen, I try to reiterate what I think that they said so that they confirm whether or not what I'm hearing is what they're saying. And then I always follow up with whatever action items or commitment I have with them. That has won a lot of goodwill for me um, with people feeling that they've been heard and then that I follow through on their items. And then the third piece to me that has really helped in my career, and I tell everyone this, is networking. It's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. So you can mm -hmm. go out there and try to meet all these people, but if you don't build that relationship or if you don't stand out somehow and they don't remember you, what good is it when you try to apply and work for them? Yeah. 
those are some those are some uh, great habits and uh, just the self awareness that I think you possess is is great and a lot of people can learn from the fact that you're identifying the gaps, but then not only identifying, hey, I have this gap, and then going and filling the gap through specific targeted processes. That's awesome. So I think I'm going to take a little bit of that lesson myself. Um, do you have, before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to end the show with? Uh, I do not. I think you covered a lot of kind of my career path there. Uh, Matthew, I appreciate the opportunity for letting you kind of share my career journey with your audience here. Uh, really appreciate it. And I hope it was helpful to them. I'm sure it was. I, I know it was helpful for me, so I'm sure it's helpful for other people as well. It was great hearing uh, hearing your story. And I just want to encourage anyone, if you're interested in connecting with Janet, please do through do through do do so through LinkedIn, uh, jumbled ending there. Um, please do so through LinkedIn, but then also we'll put links in the show notes um, to the woman to the women's engineering group. And then we'll also put links to your profile. That way, if people want to connect with you, they can. And um, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and uh, we'll see you next week on the Buyer's Market Podcast. Thank you, everyone.